The original Tron takes viewers into a virtual world, struggling under the rule of the Master Control program. Remembered for its unique visuals more than anything else, the film also sports a strong cast led by Jeff Bridges. So grab your light cycle and join us for a trip to Flynn's Arcade. Welcome everyone to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Peter and joining me as always is Tara. Greetings, citizens. This is a science fiction and movie podcast. We are wrapping up 80s season with one more 80s movie for this current uh, jaunt through the decade, and that is Tron. So we'll start spoiler-free as we always do. We'll give you a warning before we go into spoilers. Uh, but this is a movie that Tara wanted to do because she's determined to do the sequel at some point. So we had to do the first one. <laughs> so expect that sometime in the not-too-distant future. But... Uh, we're here to to Tron, which I had I had seen before once, but it was a long time ago. I didn't really remember a whole lot outside of the broad uh, idea. But uh, we'll get into it, and uh, yeah, uh, the basic premise of Tron is that Jeff Bridges plays a character named Flynn, who's a computer programmer uh, and game designer. Who, when he's trying to fight back against the evil David Warner, who runs a computer company that he got fired from. Uh, he gets sucked into the digital world that's run by an evil program called the Master Control Program, which is basically become self-aware and is, like, eating up other programs by making them compete in, like, gladiatorial-style video games with each other. Uh, and he has to find a way out and find the evidence that he was uh, betrayed all those years ago by David Warner. Uh, also, Bruce Boxleiter, isn't it? Uh, from Babylon 5, so that's nice too. Uh, and also Peter Jurassic, although I didn't catch him in the movie, but he's in the cast list. I want to say he's the first one that he has to play the games against. Oh, right at the start. Okay. He's, yeah, he's got a similar build, actually. I can see that. But he's obviously, they're all when they're inside the, the Tron digital world, they're all wearing these, you know, yes. suits with well, the helmets. <laughs> Honestly, the reason I say that is because he was so recognizable, but I couldn't place it, and I didn't uh, bother looking it up. I actually thought he was a different actor, but now that you say Peter Jurassic is in it, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's him. Because there's something very familiar about his voice. Just imagine him saying Mr. Garibaldi, and it'll... Well, he doesn't have his Transylvania accent, though. No, that's true. But he has, like, a Brooklyn accent. Well, what's so funny is I knew Bruce Boxleitner was in this, but... When he first showed up, I didn't recognize him right away because he's much younger in this, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And it took a few lines of dialogue where I started to hear it in his voice, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's Sheridan. Yeah, he's got that, like, more rounded face, youthful face. Yeah, so... And uh, the glasses, too. I mean, it really does work for Clark Kent, so <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah, so... Uh, that's the basic gist of the movie. We'll get into all the ins and outs, of course, as we do. The inputs and outputs, you will, since we're going to be talking nothing but computer language for the rest of this. <laughs> yep. So, uh, Tara, what is your uh, initial scan and analysis of Tron? Well, I have seen this before. Uh, I watched it, like, 15 years ago. I don't remember. Maybe even longer ago. <laughs> I I watched it and I, I with some friends who liked it. I don't think that they loved it either, but they were 
and they were nerds. So, <laughs> but we watched it together, and I remember thinking that the the movie could use some more score. Um, a lot of the times, and it's kind of a cool-looking film, but ultimately pretty boring. And I watched it, you know, today, and I still kind of have the similar feeling. I guess I appreciate it a bit more because I, I do think it's quite clever and creative. Um, I think the plot stinks, though. <laughs> oh, interest. Oh. Hold on, I'm getting attacked by a cat who's determined to... <laughs> Find his yeah, way something's up. Pulling, pulling out your shirt there. Onto my lap. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, I didn't remember being that far, and he just jumped off. Like, he, he, he fought his way on, and he jumped off after three seconds. I'm actively annoyed now. Like, I, I get it. The I principle. have to deal with four cats where I live. <laughs> the principle, the, the, the thing. Anyway, so I, I did not remember loving Tron. I remember thinking it looked kind of cool, like you said, but, like, not necessarily... I think the first time I watched it, I think I kind of lost interest as it went on, and I don't know if I paid that much attention to, say, the back half or something like that. Uh, but I sort of crossed it off. I was like, okay, it's done now. I've watched it. Wasn't that into it, and I moved on. Uh, obviously, though, watching it today again, much much later, it's probably a similar amount of time for me. It's probably, we're probably talking about 15 years, maybe 10 uh, at, at the smallest amount of time. And paying attention to it and keeping my attention on it because obviously we're going to talk about it and review it, so I have to. <laughs> um, and really sort of making sure I was following what it was doing. Because uh, I, I do think it drops you into the deep end a little bit. There's a lot of stuff right at the start where you're kind of already in the digital world with a lot of terms been thrown around before it comes out and does the establishing of, okay, what's really going on here and set up the context. It actually does give you a little bit of more than I would say they should before they do that. I get wanting to tease it and like, here's a, here's some visuals, here's some of the things you're going to be getting later, uh, but maybe just a little bit too much of it up front. Uh, I will say, I do think the concept is quite interesting. I do like a lot of the cast. Uh, as, you know, the opening conversation probably gave away just because Jeff Bridges is obviously great. I like Bruce mm -hmm. Boxleitner. David Warner is like this great character actor who pops into a lot of things. Uh, you know, known for Star Trek, known for uh, Supergirl, known for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Use. And of course, he was on an episode of Babylon 5, funnily enough. Uh, not the greatest episode, but he was on an episode. So, I, I think I liked it more this time because I was kind of really sort of paying attention to it, and maybe it helps that I'm sure the last time I watched it may have been pre-HD, so I was, you know, I'm watching it in pretty decent quality now, you know, uh, the rumble of the flying things going around felt, sounded quite good on the subwoofer and all that, you know, there was a bit of immersion. Yeah, I agree. I think the, the production design is actually quite interesting and neat. I think the costumes, although they're cool, they're also very cheap looking, so it's kind of hard to really praise it too much. But it, it's it's interesting, like you said. I, I would say that like their technique for obviously making parts of it glow uh, kind of hides a lot of the cheapness, but you can still kind of see it if you're looking closely for it and and whatnot. Yeah. But um, I, I would say that the the plot kind of I think it's fine up until a point, but it kind of starts to dwindle in the the middle of the movie, and I think the the last half of the plot uh, does kind of just meander and it does just the most simplest thing without any real stakes it kind of feels like it doesn't really have enough of like a character arc in the the main part of the story and maybe that's the biggest problem is that flynn is a character who's our main character 
I don't know if he has much of a real arc in this. He, he goes on a bit of an adventure, obviously, mm-hmm. and uh, whatnot. But there's, you know, it's, it's a very subtle thing, if anything, that's there as far as the character arc goes. Um, and also, one of the things that I, I kept expecting to happen, and I do think it hurts the movie that it doesn't, but once he goes in the digital world, he goes inside the, the system, we never come back out again. You know, no. bar- bar- barring the very end when it's all over. I was expecting, you know, because he's teaming up with Bruce Boxleitner and, like, uh, like Bruce Boxleitner's cu- current girlfriend, his ex-girlfriend, and I was thinking we're going to cut back to them in the building like, and try to feel, oh, what's happened to him? He's disappeared and try to, like, figure things out and maybe helping him a little bit by, you know, doing some hacky, hacky-do's and, and whatnot. But it never <laughs> does. We just stay inside the system following that world. And I think... It may be a slight mistake just because I think the, like, I was enjoying it more at the start when I was getting a bit of both because it was given the stuff inside the system more context and it was given it the more more stakes and things like that. And I think mm-hmm. just staying inside the, the world once we were in there, I think after we'd been in there for about 25, 30 minutes uninterrupted, I started to feel like this could really do with, like, breaking up and going back to, like, real live action footage again of just actors. Do we, do we not know? go back to David Warner at some point? <laughs> as uh, Dillinger you may be right there may be one small scene with him mm. but it's not a lot we never we never cut back to the other characters because I, I, I was thinking the entire time it's weird that we've not seen them again I mean obviously yeah. we see programs that are played by the same actors inside the system but we don't see those people again until the very very end of the movie when it's all over and I really do think it would have helped break up the and help the pacing and just keep me interested again because they never let me miss like the fancy visuals like you you kind of become numb to it after a while when it's like everything Mm -hmm. looks like this and depending on the techniques because it varies from obviously shot to shot and like scene to scene what they're doing um you know some scenes do look a bit more like a just a traditional cartoon almost with actors standing in front of it uh and sometimes it looks a bit more obviously high tech and like wireframey or or whatever you know it varies depending on what the moment is yeah, yeah, I suppose. Uh, I don't. I don't know how I feel about that because I think going into you know the land of Oz or down the rabbit hole, and then all of a sudden you're in Wonderland or you know whatever. I think that could work, and then you're not out of that area until the our characters are, you know, and then they come they come back to reality. Um, I think that has worked before, and it can still work in this and. I can't remember what the sequel is like, if that's how it works there too, but I want to say it does. That you're, you know, once you're in that world, that's where you stay. I think, I think the reason why I wanted that and why I don't think it works in this case, I get what you're saying about comparing it to Oz and comparing it to these other things where once you're in that world, you stay in there. I think for me, the real, the real context and the real people are what's actually important, right? Everything that's inside the digital world's good. Like, I never got to the point where I feel like I'm rooting for these other programs as real characters, per se, because they're just programs working for the people in the real world. And yeah, I, think- I, I suppose, because also Bridges is trying to get back to the real world yeah. and to get to the real people. And I also think the idea of them trying to help him on the outside once, like, maybe if they realize he's in there or, like, you know, like, imagine a scene where Bridges is talking to the people in the real world, but he's saying things that are really convincing that this doesn't sound like a computer. This sounds like someone's talking to us. Um, yeah, there, so we of... don't really know how much time goes by either. Like, maybe time works differently inside of 
the in the digital world versus outside like maybe he's only gone for i don't know a millisecond uh that that could be possible but we have no idea uh so they wouldn't know that he's like even gone because not enough time has passed or something i'm not sure i mean there i don't know but I, I think that's less interesting just though, because I think it'd be more in, just more fun to see them interact on both sides. Uh, because I think if I have a, a critique of the movie is that, like, yeah, there's inherently something silly about this, right? The idea that all these programs that are designed are living like, like people, <laughs> yeah, inside a world. Yeah. Like, fundamentally, because I, I just, I know how computers, to an extent, like, I'm not an, an engineer or computer designer, but like, to an extent, I know how computers work, so this is just silly. And I can get past that and just accept that that's the, sort of the idea. But yeah. uh, I, I think... It's a representation of what something is, and it's anthropomorphized. That's all. But I think because of that, I think that connection to the real world is important. It's kind of like... Um, it's like Toy Story, right? The whole idea in Toy Story is that, you know, when the humans aren't around, the toys all come to life and start talking. This is kind of like that with computer programs, that... Inside the system, they're all actual people talking to each other, and there's this one evil one that's because you know it's become self-aware, it's becoming the the, the the Skynet or the HAL 9000 or whatever you you know what to compare it mm -hmm. to, and it's taking over all the other systems for power. The Proteus, right? probably. And it's uh, you know it's kind of mimicking real world like uh, greed and hunger and power struggles and all the rest of it, and that's all that that's all fine, um, but because of like never really buying into like these characters as being real. I think one of the things that, in comparing this to Toy Story is that Toy Story never focuses on Andy and the mom. Don't get me wrong, it never does. But it always kind of keeps bringing them back around. They're always like there for context of what each situation is. They're always driving what the, the plot is in the, the movie. And it, it is kind of true in this to an extent where stuff's happening early on because David Warner wants the master control program to, you know, to hide evidence, to do this, to do that. But it does kind of like fade away after a certain point. And I think, obviously, I love the idea of a computer system, an AI going like, you know, bizarre, going power hungry and like wanting to take over everything. Like, obviously, those ideas are great. Um, but because I think I think it's because Jeff Bridges' character, Flynn, never really kind of comes in contact with it. The only character who really talks to the Master Control Program and realizes that he's like wants to take over the world because you know there's a certain point in the movie and i don't think this is too spoilery to say that at a certain point in the movie this program is like i want to just like hack into like the pentagon and the kremlin and just to control the entire I, I can run the world better than the humans right it's, it's typical ai supercomputer i'm going to take over and be better mm -hmm. and stuff right but david warner's the only character that this computer program ever talks to about this there's never like the hero is never aware that he's fighting this. He's only just try he's just trying to get out because he's stuck in a computer system. He's never aware that he's actually stopping a potential like AI coup of the world. And Don't you think he, he kind of realizes it by the end? Maybe he realizes it by the end, but it's never like a driving force where he's like like he never has like a you know he doesn't like feel like he's sacrificing anything or making a hero's choice or, or doing any of those things that you're he does come off the... kind of selfish still and well it could also be because he's a user versus everyone else's program and the program see users as gods so he may have a god complex <laughs> well no but just on a, a basic writing perspective though because yeah. he's never actually engaging with the main villain and what the villain's trying to do, and therefore is not trying to be an obstacle to it. He's just trying to get out. It feels... Yeah. I think the the, the knock-on effect to the audience, to me at least, 
is that I don't feel like it ever really feels like the real problem. And therefore, I can never get super invested in them stopping the master program computer, you know? My, my real problem with the plot is that, okay, so David Warner and Flynn worked at the same company. Yes. And Flynn invented a video game. And Warner took it. He got, he and got, claimed it as his own. He got Bob Kane. Yes. 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 And claimed it as his own. Is that a Batman <laughs> thing? Yes. Yes. Bob Bob Kane basically stole most of what Batman is from Bill Finger. I watched a documentary right. on it a couple months ago. It's very good. Yeah. So, and now this arcade game called something. I can't I, remember. There was like five, I think. Like space. Was... Space. Paranoids or whatever. <laughs> there was there was like five because one was the bite game, one was the the flying one with the. But the it's called Space Paranoids or whatever. That's the one that he's he's created. That's the one that's that gets eight million quarters a week from kids or whatever he says, and that's why he's upset is because it that is his game and he needs he knows somewhere in the system there is proof of that. Meanwhile. This woman and old man have invented technology <laughs> that will scan things and digitize them, even if it's not just a person, which it ends up working, um, is a huge, like, way more significant than some video game. Jo- uh, <laughs> yeah, it's always so funny about this, is that it's in the same building, okay, the same company's doing that, fine, I can kind of buy that. But what gets me is that it's, like, the location, it's not like it's in, like, a... a a lab behind like a test like door and uh-huh. like a, a quarantine area where they're doing all this testing it's like like the reason why jeff bridges gets hit by this ray why the master computer is able to use it to like take him into the computer world is because it's just sitting in like what otherwise is a fairly regular bit of the office where there's, there's literally a chair with a computer sitting in yeah, it's front. really poorly placed that, yeah, that it, desk it, it's like they had no room for it so just put it in the corner of like the the maintenance area but there's still like computers and stuff i don't know it was it's... and then not just that <laughs> there's a third element that's brought in to where there seems to be a whole universe of sentient life inside of the electronics um that can be accessed and interacted with and that's huge so like every time you create a computer program like you're writing code you're creating life essentially <laughs> that's also kind of a big deal that's <laughs> maybe even more big deal than uh, the technology to transfer something into digital code that's amazing i don't know i feel like this company does not have its priorities straight because they promoted the shit out of david warner but <laughs> for making a video game that was successful but are completely ignoring everything else that's going on here <laughs> Yeah, but that's making money. That's the difference, though. This thing's not making money yet. I feel like you could pretty quickly. But they've just made it succeed, though. They're just they're still testing it. They don't know how successful it is. Yeah, but I mean, even even Flynn's not talking about this thing. Oh no, no, I get what you're saying. Is that this is like a classic '80s movie, and that the things just happen, and then characters don't react appropriately to the weird and wild things that make all of the movie function yeah. like all of this stuff is just kind of glossed over like obviously Flynn, this, t- this Fl- minor miracle thing that has happened isn't it's just in the way so that he can get his uh his his video game credit that's somewhere inside a file deep in this game i mean obviously flynn does spend a little bit of time being confused about where he is and he thinks it's a dream 
But even once he realizes where he is and what, what what's going on, he doesn't seem that shocked by it. He doesn't really ever question, like, do I have to treat my computer programs like life now because I know they all talk <laughs> to each other? And hell, they even have love interests. Like, literally, his... Yeah. You know the the the, hu- the program versions of Bruce Boxleitner and the girlfriend character are actually interested in each other inside the the digital world as well. So these are things like would he, like that's the thing. There's so little at the end after he comes out, right? That there's no real times for him to even be like. Does he tell the others? Does he tell the others that he was talking to like programs that look at them? Does he tell anyone any of this shit? Yeah. <laughs> Don't delete any computer program ever. It, it just it does kind of feel like it You're just taking gl- away somebody's son it glosses over so many of the interesting ideas and questions that it's kind of raising just to yeah. have the fun and adventure and nothing else and that's not necessarily a bad thing but i do no, think no I, I, I think it's just funny you know watching it as an adult with that through that lens you're like wow they're really ignoring some pretty heavy stuff but i do think that the the adventure isn't that satisfying either though this comes back to what i was saying earlier on is that because mm-hmm. Flynn is never directly trying to stop the the supercomputer from taking over? It's kind of by happenstance he's helping like get there and whatever, but he's never actually caring about that. He's never scared that this thing is going what, what it can do. Like the implications of this, like this thing having control of nuclear weapons, of 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 controlling the world's economy, of like dictating what people can and cannot do. He never questions this. He never even like it never even pops into his head holy shit this thing may actually destroy the we planet we stop this thing yeah it never even occurs to him so i never got that invested in like anything they're trying to do in the, the second half of the movie it is, is, it is basically how i feel about it i did think it looked quite good and i was more into it for the most part than i was the first time i watched it but there's definitely a lot of things about it that feel undercooked yeah yeah i mean i'm, I'm glad they all, i mean i know it's 1982 but like and Lawnmower Man was like 10 years later. <laughs> but, you know, I'm glad they did do costumes with, uh, you know, tricks and lighting and whatever they have to do to the film to make it look the way it does rather than, um, you know, try to do too much with computers. Because some of the computer stuff, it looks pretty bad. Like, um, there's like a, a, a video game level or I don't know if it's Flynn that's driving in inside of the program or if he's doing it in the arcade but you just get a shot of like these walls popping up that he has to like navigate through and it was so nauseating because they they move so quickly and luckily there was a really short demonstration but i was like oh that's not no that's gonna make me motion sickness yeah um i I do think the visuals are its best strength and that's clearly what they spent a lot of time on they clearly what they had ideas for these different types of games that would be played inside this virtual world, and mm-hmm. they they spent some time on that, which is which is completely fine. And I I, yeah. I do I just do think it's lacking in like a story sense, especially since it feels like there's so many possibilities for what they could have done with where this went, and instead I mean, yeah they could have gone big with it. I, I I couldn't help but feel in the last like you know twenty minutes like when all the things were were capping off and it was all wrapping up. I couldn't help but feel like I was like, "That's it. Well, that's that's all we're doing <laughs> with this big climax." After it feels like we've been kind of trudging there for like twenty minutes by that point. So, yep, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it's a mixed bag. I can kind of see why it's got a cult following though, and why people love it. I think if I'd seen this, 
if I was alive and had seen this in 1982, it probably would have blown my mind because the visuals are unlike anything that could have existed before. Yeah, then. I mean, I brought it up to like my roommate that I was watching this, and he was around then, you know, and he watched it as a kid, and it was a big deal. Um, but and you know, I was kind of poo pooing it before I even started watching it, and he was like, "Hey, it was great at the time," <laughs> and I I understand that, like it is. It is very cool to look at, and I think it is very creative. And I do like the visuals when we get people. Um, I like the sort of desaturated and like just grayish tones with the bright colors. Like it is very striking. Um, I think a lot of the computer stuff where you're just sort of watching the games, um, like the games where you don't see people, I think that stuff is, it's okay. Like it's the best they could have done at the time. Um, I also think that there's a missed opportunity with the score. Like sometimes the score is quite pretty and I like it, but it's too orchestral. Like you need, you should have had more synth, you know, or just something, something that, it, I mean, they didn't have Daft Punk at the time, but like after watching Tron Legacy so many times <laughs> and listening to this, to the score so many times, it's like, I don't know, the, the score is, is disappointing. I wonder if this is because you associate a certain sound with this type of visual, but that association didn't exist when this movie was made. Maybe. There's no synth in 82. I mean, Blade Runner was that year. No, I'm not saying there was no synth. I'm saying that synth hadn't been married yet to these types of visuals. I'm saying that in our heads, we associate synth with neon lights. We associate synth because... so. Because electronic. of things, yeah, yeah, I want electronic Be music. Because of things like Blade Runner, but Blade Runner came out the same year as this, so they did, they had not seen Blade Runner when this was being made. So, no. so, so, so those ideas might not have been like a, a common thing. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm just I'm speculating because it was the first thing that popped in my head when you were saying that you're disappointed. There's no synth, and I'm like, but maybe that wasn't some, like an obvious thing to them at the time. I mean, sure, uh, I'm sure they were thinking orchestral music would be better, and there are times where I like it where I think it's it's quite pretty and it's nice or they're trying to do something with like a little bleeps and bloops but they don't really commit to it fully you still get those there's a lot of times where it's just there's no score it's completely silent um the scene with uh Peter Jurassic we've I'm pretty sure that's him um there's just no score in it and I'm like what you could really use some you know we can use some adrenaline right now <laughs> during this big competition that he's in it's, it's supposed to be a life or death situation so like let's let's get some music to amp this up yeah um i didn't mind this i thought there were some moments like where it kind of added to an eeriness to it which maybe not everyone wants from this but i i did think it had a kind of eerie quality because everything was so sort of dark and clean in terms of the visuals in the background so mm -hmm. to me sometimes the lack of music kind of felt like oh this is giving it kind of like a spooky you know, like a supernatural spooky, but like a, like a, otherworldly, like 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 we're wandering around like a really weird spaceship that we don't understand because we're we're simply human and this is like something designed by, you know, literally a computer, effectively. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's interesting, and that's the other thing is like depending on how you write this, you could have written this like is this real? Is is this just all in his head kind of thing? But obviously the movie presents it in a way where it has to all be real uh especially since we're we're seeing it before he even goes in so uh yeah there's, there's no question really in the movie but i just i think it would be interesting if like is this just all of an, an interpretation by him 
like mm. to get through his issues and get over the loss of his girlfriend to Bruce Box later, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, but it, it never really uh, kind of does that, sadly. Um, yeah, the love triangle stuff is okay. I thought they were kind of like, I don't know, like saying some things. Like she was saying some things about Flynn or next to her, you know, current boyfriend. I was like, that's kind of ballsy. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't feel like there was a triangle though. I I, I felt like it wasn't even trying to suggest that it was going to like i never felt like it was actually trying to build up to like her making a choice around like that it was just kind of no, like no no i didn't think so like she clearly you know was over flynn but she still like boasted about how smart he was and why she was attracted to him and like how and he like when they first see each other he takes his shirt off in front of her and alan's like around also and I don't know, like, there's just some was some dialogue back and forth where I'm just like, I wouldn't say this next to, like, a current boyfriend in front of an ex-boyfriend. I don't know. Like, I think that would be weird. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think their whole chemistry is kind of... It's just very relaxed, right? But I kind of feel that way about all three of them. Like, there's a very relaxed... Mm-hmm. Ke- like, obviously, Alan, played by Blocks Lightner, clearly isn't necessarily in love with these little moments, but... At the same time, he just kind of gets over it, and they're they're hugging at points. All three of them, it's like they're a team. I don't know. It just never really feels like it. Much like some of the plot, it, it feels a little undercooked and like. Which I'm not even against because, like, yeah, let's, let's face mean, it. How many love triangles do we want to see? Did you want a love triangle in this? Really, probably not. No, not really. Um, no, I, I feel like she was only there because they wanted to get a woman in a cat suit. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, would it change that much if she wasn't there and it was just Bruce Bloxleitner who already has suspicions going to Flynn because he's heard about him. Used, you know, he used to work here. I'll go see him. Like, I mean, that the thing it adds the is that there's romance inside of the electronic world between programs. Yeah, but did you need that in the real world as well? Like, she could have just been in there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, clearly he still has feelings for her because he... Who? Flynn. Yeah, okay. But what does that do in the movie? Like Nothing. Yeah, it doesn't really make a difference. <laughs> no. uh, the, like, you, like, you could have done some subtext with it, but I don't think the movie actually does. I, I think it's just kind of, like... I mean, they're all likable enough. Like, there's no... Uh, I don't think there's any characters in this that I disliked. Like, every everyone... Even David Warner is kind of this villainous guy. I like him as a villain. <laughs> I... I love David Warner. I just want to praise him for a second because I think he's the only actor where every time I see him pop up, I think you'll just do, you'll just take any part. <laughs> you'll just take any role. And I love him for that. <laughs> I think he does well in his roles though. Oh, he's great. Like he's super dependable. He's got that, he's got that like Shakespearean thing about him, you know, maybe it's just his Englishness and he's comes off very assertive and he could be a villain or he could be a good guy he could be fatherly or yeah. whatever you know he's uh, i think he, he he is a great character actor and i just adore that he's willing to take any part like literally any part <laughs> and he's he's wearing probably the most ridiculous outfit no there's one other that's more ridiculous okay i'm not counting the guy sitting in the chair but he's got this stupid strap thing and he's got like an extra big helmet yeah <laughs> Okay, I don't know. I. But you're right. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, his his outfit is very strange. Yeah. Um. 
so I, I think it's a mixed bag. Like I can kind of appreciate it for its technical qualities, but I do think from a writing perspective, it's it's not like a train wreck by any means. It's just very kind of simple and undercooked. Like not mm-hmm. so much at the start. Like it's, it's got a lot of stuff to set up, and it does feel like you're taking a lot in early on in the movie. But once it actually gets about halfway through, and it's like okay, this is kind of our angle to get to this point and do a thing. It starts to feel very simple, and it kind of... I felt like stretches where it didn't really feel like much was happening. It was just like, ah, like, they're, they're, they're on their way. A little bit of a fight. They're still on their way. Uh, and then eventually something happens, and it kind of just sort of ramps up quick right at the end. Uh, there is one fun thing at the end, which we'll talk about in spoilers, but uh, that's about it. I think it, maybe it's time to get to spoilers. Yeah, so spoilers for Tron from this point on. You have been warned. Uh nice We'll get into it. What? What rhymed? Tron from this point on. I mean, it's pretty basic. Simple okay. rhyme. But... Fair enough. Fair enough. I, mean, I was like, but Tron and Warren? I don't think that rhymes. <laughs> what are you talking about? It does not. I'm glad we agree. So, yeah. Um... Yeah, movie starts with like a little bit inside the world and showing that you know David Warner inside the world is basically the main bitch of the master control program. He's the uh, what's the Star Wars equivalent to compare him to? He's the the Anakin to Palpatine. What? No. What are you being willfully dense? <laughs> no, he's like the uh, the the Peter Cushing kind of character. Oh, okay. He's like the Grand general. In... Yeah, he's like, he's like enforcing the stuff in the world. Okay. <laughs> no, I thought that was like an obvious comparison they make. <laughs> the Anakin. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Does he become know. Darth Vader? <laughs> I was trying to think of someone who had like a a more corrupt boss. <laughs> oh dear. I I'm just going for that. He's kind of sniveling, and he's at the behest of like you know. In Star Wars, it's the 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 emperor right so yeah. the master controller is the emperor and he's like the the main general sort of enforcing all the rules and all that stuff but he's worried for his job you should have had that before <laughs> i think that my example works just fine <laughs> we're still talking about the emperor yeah but darth vader's like more like get agency like he feels like he's still in control of himself he's not just the emperor's you know, little bitch, as, as I put it. Yeah, but Grandma of Tarkin doesn't isn't Vader's bitch either. Like they're both kind of equal. Okay, true. He's not sniveling. I admit, but like I don't have a sniveling example. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Actually, Donald Gleason in the newer ones. He I seems perfect. Yeah, I was gonna say Hux, but I don't, don't want to keep this going. I don't know what his name was. <laughs> I don't know the names of these newer Star Wars characters unless they're Ray or. Ben or Paul. That's yeah, it. Good job. That's all the ones baby I know. Baby Yoda. <laughs> yes, Baby Yoda. I haven't watched past season one, so I know he's got a name now. Yeah, no one's called him that though. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we we enter this this world and we kind of like start to come out and see the real context, which is that David Warner is this executive. Uh, who stole these video game designs from from Finn, and he's using like the master control program is effectively taking other programmers' programs and consuming them to make himself better, right? 
So he's doing that, and he's like high security, and he's also helping David Warner do his shady stuff. But very quickly, it becomes clear that the computer, the the master control program, program control, whatever is MCP. MCP. Yeah. Oh, okay. From henceforth, we're just going to go with MCP because it's too much of a mouthful, right? That's what they call it too. Yeah. So the MCP from this point on, it's kind of clear that he's got his own agenda and that david warner almost like the david warner inside the computer who is like sniveling kind of like he makes it clear that david warner in the real world you're also my bitch like you mm-hmm. see that's effectively the dynamic but but I, Bruce, think, I think david warner plays both like i think he he's playing the program version of him and the ai supercomputer he's also playing the, the mcp I was going to say, I thought, he, I thought he, was, he was playing both, and I'm like, yes, he's playing both the David Warner and the real world, and... <laughs> That's why I said all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but both implies two. She said he plays all three. Okay. <laughs> three roles. Okay. <laughs> oh, come on, both means two, you know that. Well, yeah, I know, but like, I didn't think I needed to clarify that he plays himself on the outside. <laughs> I just want to be clear. I just, I'm just, I'm just keeping sure we're on the same track. Yeah, that's all. Also, I, I love how we keep saying David Warner and played himself, which implies that he's just played David Warner in the real world. He always plays. I mean, he doesn't. He has range, right? But he definitely gets like, I don't know. He doesn't have vocal range or like character range. I don't know how to describe him. Like he's clearly typecast. He is, but like I've seen him do both, like the peaceful, friendly version of himself, and then also but he the villain. Act that much different. Like he just says evil things, you know. Sure. That's sure. why he was a great Jack the Ripper. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, we did. Yes, we did time after time. That was a movie. We've done a lot of David Warner movies. <laughs> we have. I also have done David Warner. Uh, Wing Commander. <laughs> I did not remember that he was in that, but I believe it. I assume we'll do the Star Treks. We'll do Star Trek Six one day. You're you're hoping. Well, is he, isn't he in Five and Six? Yeah, I think so. He's, because he plays a human in one and a Klingon on the other. Yeah, correct. Well, uh, was that human? It was more human. Something more human. It may have been a Vulcan, but it, it was. You could see his face in one, and then the other one he was a Klingon. <laughs> yeah, one he was definitely Klingon. The sixth one he was Klingon. Yeah, in five he's like uh, either a human or may- yeah, maybe just a Vulcan. Just something that's just a pointy-eared version of himself rather than. Don't let it end this way. Mm. Uh, so anyway, he's he's uh, losing control to the system, but the system basically doesn't like that there is independent attempts to hack in. So there's two things that the the MCP doesn't like that Flynn's trying to hack in from the outside to try and, like, get proof of, like, that he was screwed over. So we see an attempt like that, and we actually see that his program, like, he's, like, playing a video game, basically. I mean, it doesn't look like that to him. It looks like he's just coding, because he's, he's got code on the screen. But inside the digital world, it's like he's, like, Ryan, like he's got, like, a, a, an avatar, and, like, the, the MCP and the general are having to shoot down, like, his thing and, like, stop him. But he's getting close, damn it. He keeps getting closer, and he's worried about it. And the other thing he doesn't like is that Bruce Bloxleitner is a programmer still working for the company who's building a security system called Tron, which is his program. Uh, I think it's interesting the movie's named after his thing. 
Well, I think he ends up being the hero of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, kinda. Yeah. True. Plus, it's just a cooler name. It is. Yeah, because what were they going to call it otherwise? Flynn? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> or Tron. MCP. Yeah. I mean, we don't really get... We don't get uh, his program at all, except in the beginning. He plays Clue in the beginning. Yeah, that's the one that's wiped out when he's trying to hack in, yeah. Yeah. And then, obviously, he's the only one who's actually still himself when he's on the computer for the rest of the movie. He's still just right. Flint, so... Yeah. Uh, so, that's that. But basically, the MCP says we have to, like, cut off access to anyone who can, like, do anything like this. So they, they cut off access to all employees, like, under a certain level, which includes Block Slightner, which sort of, like, raises some red flags. So he goes and tells his girlfriend who's working downstairs with this magical ray that can... Basically, it's like a Star Trek teleporter where it'll dematerialize something and then make it rematerialize. Mm -hmm. uh, and they do a test on, like, an apple or something, and it's like, hey, it worked, uh, which reminded me a lot of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Cause yeah, it looks like a shrinking yeah, ray. It looks the exact kind of same thing. Uh, but th she's like, hey, let's go talk to Flynn. You know, they're both Disney, so maybe, maybe it's the same prop. No, nah, it doesn't look that similar. It's similar, well, but it's... you can repurpose it though and add more things, more squiggly doos. The what the one in Honey Astronaut the Kids looks more kind of like a minigun almost. Mm, maybe, I don't know. I thought they looked kind of similar, but we don't get a great angle of it. Yeah, that's fair. Song, maybe that's fair. Uh, so she's like, let's go see Flynn. I bet he's the one hacking in because he's heard us. Someone's trying to hack in from that station. Like, oh, I bet I know who it is. Yeah, because he's admitted to her before that he's trying to get yeah. proof that he created this video game. So they go see him, and it, it does actually strike me quite shocking how quickly these two are like, yeah, that's that's all I agree to break in because because he says, oh, if I get inside to an actual terminal, because this is Why of not? course there's no security. Uh, yeah, apparently there's no security. <laughs> They've got a really big thick door, but he's able to hack it's past like, that. Is of a bank vault? Yeah. <laughs> But it's like an exterior door, though. That's just like the door to the the garage. And this place is <laughs> huge. Like when you see uh, Boxliner get up from his cubicle, and it's just like a labyrinth of cubicles that go like off screen, like because there's so many of them. Oh, it looks to be like uh, it looks like the the hell in Hellraiser two. <laughs> well, yeah, because it's not like a, a real set to a point. It's like a map painting no, with more cubicles. Yeah. yeah, I noticed that as well. Yeah, there's like a map painting to make I it. I thought look it looked awesome. I'm like, like oh. This is cool. <laughs> yeah, it's like, how big, like, no building was big enough for you, movie. You yeah. had to, like, extend it. <laughs> Maybe that's why there's no security around, because they're lost. <laughs> they all got lost well, actually, in the labyrinth of cubicles. Isn't, isn't there some lines, because there's the, the old guy who ends up being a, a program in the system as well, but there's an old guy that argues with David Warner. Isn't mm -hmm. part of that discussion that David Warner's having the, the master computer program replace a lot of jobs that people do? Maybe the Maybe. idea is that there's no physical security because the computer just does it now. And technically, because we know it's watching. Cause it, you know, and the computer is also distracted, so... Yeah, because the computer goes after Flynn. Once it realizes Flynn's about to like get what he wants, it's like, oh, he's sitting in front of the, 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 the ray beam. Great, I'll just turn yeah. that on and, and bring him in. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they got backup generators and stuff, but like, what if the electricity goes out? Like, you need to have at least one guy. Yeah. <laughs> Man oh, not, the door. Not to be fair, they do go past one security guard because they say hello. Oh, okay. Because he right, says, because right. oh, he recognizes the the two of them, uh, the three, and he goes, "Oh, working late," and like, "Yeah, you know who it is," and they just walk past them. <laughs> oh, 
Okay, you're right. They do have one guy. Yeah, but it it, it does make me wonder though. Like, there's no security cameras on the entrances. With <laughs> it, just it, they got it does... that big bank vault door. You don't need to have any cameras there. It just it feels yeah. It, there's definitely some like fuzziness to like it's a movie, so just accept it because we need them to get in for the plot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just accept it and move on. <laughs> so hey ho so he gets zapped in and from here we say goodbye to the real world you know other than maybe one david warner scene uh if that hadn't already happened but i think you're right i think there was one small david warner scene yeah i want to say there was and then there's because uh, i think that's he the does scene... talk to alan at one point from the outside well not but... from the inside you hear you hear his voice in the inside yeah but we never go outside and see him like i thought that'd have been cool if we could see his reactions to like also, I suppose as he literally talked, wouldn't it just be code? Yeah, yeah, it probably is just code. Because <laughs> I, I, I imagine that in the real world, it's not like it's a question and answer thing. It's more just like the program's working as it's supposed to to him, and he's putting in commands and queries or whatever. But um, what was I going to say? You maybe lose track. Uh, oh yeah, the, the scene with David Warner that comes in the middle. That's the one where it's like I'm going to hack into the Pentagon and I'm going to like take over the world because you humans are shit at it. So I'm going to do it now. <laughs> Yeah. So it's going very Terminator, which to be fair, this is before Terminator, so maybe Cameron uh, liked that very specific part of it. You know what's great about Terminator? Synth score. I mean, it's one of the best movies of all time. There's a lot of (laughs) things that are good about Terminator, but... I mean, that score could have worked in this movie. Yeah, but it works better than Terminator. (laughs) If you're making okay, me pick, but like, if if you could pick a soundtrack for this movie, you know, Blade Runner would be a good one. I get the Vangelis to do it. Would be good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Just throwing it out there. Yeah. Can we move on from the the score? Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> It's just that this is like this is reminding me when we did AVP and you kept going back to the why aren't the predators wearing winter gear? Like that that's this is what this has reminded me of. That was very important. <laughs> I love how the tone from that review just slipped back in there. It was just like it was it was like there was no time at all between mm. them. No, as soon as you brought it up, I was like, Oh yeah, that really did. That was troublesome mm. for that film. Okay, okay. Uh, so just didn't yeah, make any sense. Like, they, of course they would wear cold weather. Gear. Oh, okay, they're, okay, they're, okay. They're okay. Meant for warm weather climate. So Flynn's inside the inside the system, right? And uh, the general did, which is what I'm calling the inside the computer, David Warren. I don't think he's ever actually referred to as a general. I'm just going to call him the general because that's what it made me think of. Uh, but he's got like a, a ship that he's flying around on, making his commands, and he wants uh flynn to like play in the games until he dies that's what the master computer wants so that's what he wants and they're going to make him so he spends some time in a cell he talks to ram who's this character who we do actually see in the real world he's based on like as like a character who asked for some popcorn in like one scene oh that's him that's him yeah yeah i I only noticed because on imdb he's credited as ram slash popcorn like guy oh that's funny (laughs) so so uh, he's actually right next um, to the cubicle for Bruce Boxliner, and he's yeah. who has a popcorn machine at his desk. Yes, in this infinite sea of cubicles. Yes. Yes. Uh, and he, um, like, you know, tries to explain some things to him. 
and uh, Flynn's taken away to play this uh, disc game kind of. Th- well, it's it's basically tennis, but like they're standing on circles, and it's like a light like bit of energy that's like in their sort of like hooks that they're sort of slinging towards each other. Although they bounce it off this like pad on the ceiling, actually, to be more precise. But mm-hmm. uh, it's basically like tennis, where if it hits the floor, you don't you don't catch it and throw it back. It'll be like a you know a point to the other uh person effectively although yeah. in, the, in whatever this case, ring it hits will yeah. disappear and then yes. you can fall through and die so yeah so it's, it's like a, a lethal version of tennis where eventually you're going to fall to your death like it, it kind of reminded me of lacrosse also because they look like they had like lacrosse hand oh yeah yeah i can see that yeah and they sort of throw the light like a lacrosse player would yeah i, I can see that it's, it's, it's kind of a hard shape to describe but that's probably the best way to so compare it to something um it's kind of like tennis meets like something in fall guys where eventually you're going to fall and that's how the other person wins uh so that's the idea for whatever reason the master computer doesn't want to just kill him because at one point david warner like computer david warner is going to just like make the platform disappear so he'll fall to his death which does beg the question would it kill him like what would it do to flynn since he's not really know. in here because he also has kind of superpowers later because he's a he's a real person versus like the other programs so it's yeah. like you know like what actually happens if they try and kill him does he just go like jesus in here he just starts floating around like ah! i imagine he is a digitized version of himself so he could be erased mm, so it would at least wipe out yeah his existence because even if they can like beam his body back out if they figure out what's happened to him maybe his mind is gone because the computer's like deleted it effectively yeah yeah he has to be stored as code right because he can't he can't like breathe in where he where he's at or something and he can't like eat or drink except i mean that is sort of represented in something else later on but like yeah they do technically drink something later but yeah but it's just power (laughs) they drink electricity but it looks like water though it looks like air you know it looks like liquid so yeah 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 uh yeah, so he wins this game, but for some reason the, the MCP doesn't want him to just be killed. He wants him to play in the games until he loses in one of the games. And it's almost like suggesting that the MCP does have like a like a at least a bit of an ego slash personality where he wants like Flynn to like sort of succumb to his own design and like mm-hmm. he wants him to lose that way. So, you know, it's like okay, yeah, he's truly self aware because he's got a flaw. Like he thinks he's perfect, but that's part of his like yeah, and Flynn has been boasting since we met him about how good he is at video games. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, and keep in mind, this is 1982. Video games in 1982 are either the arcade or it's like a, an Atari, basically. I, at home. I suppose this is an updated version of Pong in a way, right? So they're just like bouncing a light back and forth. And, that's, tr- that's true. That's kind of Pong. Yeah. taking away the different platforms at the bottom. That's very lately the inspiration. Uh, yeah. Uh, they get more inventive though because like right after this they end up on the the bikes uh scene where it's like the light cycles yeah it's team red versus team blue our good guys are always in the blue basically and what's interesting about this is that the light cycles sort of like create a wall as they go behind them so the idea is that you're sort of creating a maze as you ride around and you sort of win by making your opponent crash into the wall you've made or whatever so I actually did quite like this sequence. It did get quite good once, like, they were t- kind of trying to, like, outsmart the opponents by, like, creating walls. Mm-hmm. There's a part it's towards... Like a centipede effect, right? Yeah, kind of. There's a, a bit towards the end where 
uh, Bruce Boxleitner and Ram, like, they basically both overtake the bad guy in the middle and just sort of make a very narrow, like, wall in front so that he can't go through and he smashes. I thought, oh, that's quite smart because they're sort of using it. Uh, like I don't know, I, it was a sort of simple rule that was easy to understand. That was vis- quite visual, so you could sort of see what they were doing. Yeah. And no, it, I agree. It, the light cycle scene is the standout. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Obviously, the graphics are quite primitive, but like you know. No, but it's easy to follow. Yeah, it's, it's simple. Easy, the, the games are simple, much like early arcade games or early Atari games. Yeah, it's understandable. Yeah. Yeah, there's always that thought I have when I'm watching something from this sort of time period when they're talking about video games, and I'm like. Imagine going back and just like showing them like Dark Souls three and just <laughs> see see how they shut their pants. Well, when I had Stadia, R.I.P. <laughs> I brought it over to my dad to like because he's a fan of Google stuff. So I was like, hey, check this out, and I I plugged in. Um, I had uh, what, um, Red Dead Redemption two on it, and I, I was like halfway through, and I just started showing him that game. I'm like. Oh, by the way, this is what video games look like now. And he was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> <laughs> he's not seen one since the Super Nintendo. He's like, "What the hell?" I mean, my dad is a computer programmer, but like, he he works on like, you know, uh, codes. I don't know, top secret stuff, software, <laughs> yeah, operating systems, yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 it's, it's kind of an interesting window into like. Like, probably one of the most fascinating things about this movie, when you think about the creation of it, is that it's kind of a snapshot into what the imagination of what video games could become at the mm-hmm. time where, you know, when they were so primitive by, like, today's standards, like, we, we, we have video games nailed down. We know what they are. They've, they've, they've evolved into a way where, like, we kind of know what to expect from them. And even, we can even imagine what the improvements are going to be because it'll be like, oh, it'll be better lighting. It'll be better this. It'll be better that. You know, maybe virtual reality. Although I still think that's kind of never... Like, you know, until it's not a headset where you have to wear in front of your face, I still think that's limited. But we can kind of imagine where it's going because, like, it's been around long enough now that we understand the trajectory of it. Mm-hmm. But this kind of feels like it's from a time where it was this new thing and they were just imagining the wildest dreams and this is what they came up with. And they're, yeah. Whereas I think today, we would never think of this concept in the same way because, like, we were saying at the start of this that inherently this is all kind of silly to us because we just understand how computers work a little bit better than maybe the average audience would have at the time in 1982 and i think these concepts i think the modern writers wouldn't come up with in the same way so in that way it's quite interesting like oh they would dream of this because they think about it differently because it wasn't common yet even the idea because like people wouldn't in 82 people don't really have personal computers yet i mean Mm -hmm. maybe very few do but like the idea of being an outsider looking in and saying so you write code into a computer and it responds back to you like like there's something in there that's thinking and doing everything and, and communicating back to you and what that would it, interpreting that as a filmmaker into like oh we're just going to anthropomorphize the program i mean you know, i don't want it makes sense you know, yeah if you, yeah no i get that and i think uh, i don't know what to put a year on when this would have changed but Certainly up until a certain time, I don't know if it was still true in this case yet, although it's still closer to it than it would be now, is that a movie character who works with computers was probably like to the general audience the same way that a movie character who's an astronaut is, where it's like a really specific job that only a small percentage of people will ever actually get to do. Obviously, that's changed over time. Everyone works with computers, and astronauts are still just as rare and, like, you know, 
you have to do so much work and get lucky and like prove mm-hmm. yourself and all these other things but there was a time where the amount of the people in the, the world who were working in computers in a, a serious way were so small and focused that it was almost like that where oh you work with computers man that's like so cool and whereas now like, you know, you, 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 everybody uh, works on a computer yeah well you're using we're word docs yeah we're literally on a computer right now um <laughs> So it, it's yeah, it's it's just it's uh it's interesting to think of a snapshot of like what people envisioned the future of technology to be. Uh, you know, it's the same thing we talk about with retro future in a way, but this is more specific because it's it's to a very you know computers and video games are specifically what they're kind of playing with here, but with this sort of like almost like like adorable kind of like imagination, mm-hmm. right? And yes. that sounds kind. It is kind of endearing and sweet. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, that almost sounded condescending, and I don't mean it to be as I hit my mic. Uh, but, you know, I get what I mean when I say that. It's almost yeah. like an endearing quality to it. Like, oh, you, you were sort of like, let it your is, mind go cute. wild with this. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I, I think that's kind of cool uh, mm-hmm. in that sense. Uh, but, um, yeah, so at the end of this, though, one of the walls gets blasted and Flynn raids out with the other two. So they kind of they go, they become on the run. And I think this, up until this point, I was into everything it was doing pretty much and i thought oh this is great this is where it is going to be a bit more star warsy actually i was thinking okay you've got your three main characters running around the death star kind of thing that's what this is going to be it's going to be them together bonding and getting to whatever the end goal is going to be and sadly i think after a little bit of them like talking it kind of devolves a little bit where you know block slightner gets separated from the other two yeah um and then like there is a cool moment where like uh, Flynn realizes he can control the world a little bit, and he kind of like forms one of the flying kind of I don't know, it's like an it's like an arc, it's like an N shape kind of mm-hmm. thing that they're all flying. That these are these are ships that we've seen throughout the, the whole movie, but he kind of forms one out of like just random bits of debris in the world. Kind like the detectors or something. Yeah, yeah. It, it's from one of his video games because you know the light cycles are one video game, and these flying things where you're shooting them are another one. Mm-hmm. And so maybe maybe that's like the space invaders kind of take yeah. of these things, uh, but he's like controlling it and flying it around. Like, oh, this is kind of cool. But this was kind of the moment, the, the sort of section of the movie where once he actually comes back to like the main ship and he starts sort of like sneaking around, I kind of felt like nothing was really happening for a while. Uh, I agree. For large this portions, this is the part of the film where I I get a little distracted by yeah. other things going on. Because. <laughs> uh, like fundamentally, the only things that are really important here is that Boxleitner meets up with his kind of girlfriend inside the computer, and they make a plan to try and get to the the IO building, which lets them talk to the a user, right? So in this case, himself, you know, the, the real him, and mm-hmm. he gets the, the the magic disc, which is obviously something that the real Boxleitner's coded. Which if you get that to the massive computer, it'll shut it down and you know save the world. And it's like, okay, great. Um, and that's where the poster comes from because it's him, like you know, getting the disc and the the beam of light, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Uh, but th- those are the main things that are happening there. And I think that's the other sad part is, and maybe why this again, it, this goes along with my problem of Flynn feeling like he's not invested in what the main conflict is. Is that this entire section, Flynn just kind of feels like he's off, just sort of running around and not really doing anything. Um, he eventually meets up with these characters again when they get on their little ship that's on their way to the master control computer core thing but like 
his entire time when he's separated, it just kind of feels like he's just faffing around and like not really accomplishing anything. Yeah, he, I mean, he's trying to catch up to everybody, and he's, you know, he's got uh, Ram with him who's dying, and he gets to. There's actually a really nice scene between them when he's when he's dying that I enjoyed. Like the, it was shot kind of differently where the camera, you know, circles around them a little bit, and mm. we get they have to do some trickery with the you know with the set design and the and the the way that they put in the special effects, which I thought was really interesting because they. We, ha- we haven't gotten a shot like that before. Usually the camera's very still and everyone's just acting in front of it. But this time the camera's moving and the music's really nice in it. And, you know, it's a moment where he realizes that he doesn't want this program to die. Like, like he sort of had that with Peter Jurassic before. Like, no, clearly they're suffering. But this is, uh, you know, somebody he knows now and has invested in yeah on that moment uh, where like he chooses not to kill his opponent right and then mm-hmm. you know david warner presses the button and just drops him to his death and he seems upset about that and that's kind of like that's probably the first thing in the movie he's, he's likable enough before then but that's the moment in the yeah. movie where it's like hey no, he's, you good. Can, he's good he's a good person you can root for me as much as he's a, he's a little bit of a scoundrel and the way he, he acts a little bit he's ultimately good so you can kind of root for him yeah he wants to win the game but he doesn't want to killed the opponent so he's willing to like not win in order to you know not let somebody die yeah and i I think that's you know i I wish they did more with this after him like witnessing this death where it felt like he'd Mm -hmm. be like that should have been his motivating factor to be like oh i want to save these these programs from this awful main computer you know yeah i felt like that's what it should have been but i don't think i ever got that from his character after that scene well i think ram is sort of the inspiration for him because he's this is happening right as he's realizing that he is because he's a user he is kind of like neo in the matrix he can Mm. he can do things that other people can't inside this world so um so ram is like inspired by him and you know giving him the boost the ego boost that he needs to be like you're a user which by the way i i like that it's user but it's so close to the word loser (laughs) No, I, I I agree with everything you're saying here, but I wish it's had more importance for his character. Like what you're telling me is that yeah. it's important from a plot point for him to realize he can do certain things, but I want it to be a motivating factor for his for his goals. I want it to be like an inciting incident for him to actually want to do something as a character. Like it's cool that he's able to realize that he has abilities in here because of it, but I want it to inspire his drive, his motivation, his you know his desire to beat the bad guy effectively. And I never mm-hmm. felt like that was really there at all. Never mind, you know, inspired by this or otherwise, I felt that like that was kind of lacking mm-hmm. uh, all throughout the third act. And I, I, you know, I think that this is the moment that I feel like it should have been the, that as well. It should have been all of this. Uh, and I think that's why it feels like he is. It, it just feels like not as engaged with everything after this point. It's kind of weird. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. just he's kind of just along for the ride and passive for the most part. Obviously, yeah, he jumps into the light at the end to like give. Uh, box lightner a chance to throw the disc in and that's that's fine um but like it doesn't really feel like he's doing much before that point or that that moment itself feels that dramatic on its own don't get me wrong though i do like when uh it's when it looks like and this actually would look very violent if it wasn't for this visual style but david warner the computer version of him the general gets kind of like the disc like through like, at the top of his head and you see yeah. sort of like some stuff pouring out and i'm like it's like he gets like a green stripe or something where it's clearly yeah. cut into him 
But you do see, like, some red kind of, like, blocks or whatever it is in the distance. When it's, like, a wider shot, you see, like, some sort of red stuff coming out. And I thought... Oh, interesting. See, if this wasn't this visual style, this is the sort of thing that, like, Disney wouldn't be proud of. They'd be, like, like yeah. hiding this. But because it's this visual style, they kind of get away with it. Yeah. But because he does kind of fail, the supercomputer's like, oh, shit, like, they've got a chance of beating me here. I'm going to give David Warner, like, digital David Warner, my power and he it basically enlarges to be like 50 foot tall compared to the other like programs so mm-hmm. we get this kind of scene where little bruce boxleitner is like diving and ducking out the way and try to <laughs> like i actually did kind of like that as an like an action set piece like i enjoyed sure. the the visual of that uh it's probably my favorite thing about the ending honestly it was just the, the the absurd visual of like big you know kaiju david warner but like <laughs> come here you yeah and of course he's much slower because he's so big yeah <laughs> So that was all right. Because other than that, like the entire build up to the the ending is them on their little ship flying across to where this computer is, and then eventually the big ship with David Warner on it like cuts them off and like cuts them in half. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, but yeah, there's a lot of them just sort of on that trip. I I really felt there was like a ten minute stretch where I really felt the movie like go slow. I was like, only two minutes have passed. What the hell? Like, where's? I I do love the moment when. when Tron is uh, is talking to the old man with the penis helmet, <laughs> isn't he also in like a sort of pyramid kind of chair as yeah, well? He's got like a yeah, weird thing going. Yeah, it's very like uh, like Lynchian to me. <laughs> that, that, this this is yeah, this is the guy who this is the program who controls the uh, the IO the, where he can communicate with where the can, yeah, user. Yeah, so he yeah. can actually talk to his user. It's, but he has to have the username. Luckily, it's. Alan one because there's not a lot of uh, people who are on on this yet. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think it's like technically connected. Well, I guess it is connected to an internet because uh, well, Flynn... it's a closed system version of that, right? Yeah, well, yeah, but Flynn's able to hack it from his place at the start of the movie, so that suggests that at least there's a way that it is. It must be hooked up to some sort of phone line for him to yeah. do that. So yeah, it must be. Yeah. Uh, Unless they didn't think about it and just said, "Ah, yeah, that's that's possible," <laughs> but we can explain it. We can explain it with our our supercomputer uh-huh. brains. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, I just like the design of that uh, of that character because you you haven't seen anything quite like that before. Uh, I mean, it turns out he's in some sort of thing, like a suit that's giving him that. It's not like he's just this version of him is just a cubic person or a pyramid person or whatever with a penis hat. <laughs> yeah uh but I so that. yeah and obviously there's a moment when they're on the ship when they're having a quiet moment before all the action kicks off again where flynn comes clean and says he's a user and explains that to you know box lightner and girl and they're like whoa yeah, <laughs> yeah because that's like their god you know yeah. users are their creators and it's it's act. i say god but they do talk about it as a religion like even the you know, the general that you're referring to, uh, you know, part of the thing that they're doing is trying to wean out who is a believer in users and who isn't, because then they can bring them to their side. And yeah. say, but we're in control here. There they, are no, there is no God. But they are disillusioned though, uh, because Flynn says that, you know, the users don't really know what they're doing either. They're just kind of making it up as they go along. Like, cause yeah. they're assuming users have a plan and that like, you know, like a God, like they know what they're doing. And there's, a reason for everything like nah we're just kind of making it up uh, yep. just trying the best and whatever uh, we screw uh, up a lot sorry 
Yeah. The the idea though that the supercomputer wants to like like basically find loyal programs and like kill any program that believes in the users is kind of, kind of interesting because it's almost like no, I'm your fascist leader and I'm you're going to believe in me and nothing else. Mm-hmm. So I can't have you believing in the humans. Like the whole point of this is that it's just me now. Yep. Uh, it does make some sense. Like you know, when you stop and think about yeah, it. Yeah, and there's like a an area that they 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 fly through also where you get like what looks like prostitute programs. <laughs> it's just, I guess that's the porn represented there. There's only two women. And then you get like uh, how much? How much porn was there on this like like intranet well, it's a, it's inside a work the thing? Right, so you, you would have to be kind of hidden and okay, really deep into the. So into do you, the do you net, think whatever this is? Do you like the you know the, the real person that Ram's based on the popcorn guy? Do you think he's just got a couple of secret little? Uh, yeah, that's that's uh, that's real real Ram's. Uh, <laughs> that's his secret file. But I mean, what is that in 1982? It's just like, is it just like green text that makes up the image? Like it's just you know, the, the, you know those old things. You don't just see them anymore. But it's just like all the, the keyboard symbols and letters that make up an image because they're typed out a certain way. Is yes. that what it is? That has to be it because it, it would take so much work. It would take so much time to like get that right. He's, he's been sitting there perfecting his dream woman using. <laughs> yeah, and you see like women, like brackets. other people with like crazy hats and like different colors that we haven't seen yet in the world, um, and different outfits. And it kind of opens up this this world of like, oh, there's a lot more going on here than even like just the games and the the super co- mad computer trying to take over everything. <laughs> yeah, luckily for Flynn, jumping into the big beam at the end, uh, just sort of like automatically beams him back out into the real world. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so good good for him I mean it, this is what I'm saying like maybe like cutting to like the real people maybe because maybe they realize let's, let's say they'd realize by this point he was inside the system what uh-huh. if they were doing something in the real world to like okay we have to catch him just in time otherwise like he's yeah, gonna be gone yeah we have to make good. sure the beam is ready for him to jump yeah, into or something that, that, that would have, and uh, the, it beams out to yeah that would have raised the stakes a little bit and it would have like given them another ticking time clock at the end. You know, I'm thinking kind of like Back to the Future where you've got the, uh, you know, we have to like get the lightning strike at the right time. We have to do all this at the right time for it to work. Like it would have maybe added a bit of more stakes to all the stuff at the end where it's like, oh no, mm-hmm. this is the other thing we have to deal with. Like So that, those are the two key things I want from this. I want Flynn to actually care that he's trying to stop this supercomputer from taking over the world because that's the path that it's on. And also probably a bit more stakes from the real world about that like we have to save him and they're they're trying to like bring him back out into the real world uh and maybe their part of the arc could be that flynn's like going to like respect wristbox lightning and see him as a good friend now because he helped save him kind of thing yeah and he i mean he kissed his ex-girlfriend inside of the the program version of her so he got that out of his system i guess <laughs> <laughs> sure <laughs> so he doesn't have to go after her in the real world world yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah i just i think there could have been a stronger arc there for him bo- both in kind of like maybe forming a friendship with him but also getting over himself a little bit but yeah i don't think it, there's really that much of it in the movie it's kind of like you can still view what he does at the end as kind of a sacrificial moment but it, I, bizarrely though because it happens so quick without much sort of pomp and circumstance it doesn't really feel like he really is i, I guess he doesn't know if that's gonna you know if he's gonna be saved by yeah. doing this so he he could die like he maybe he 
maybe he's accepting that. Yeah, Te- technically he doesn't know, so technically it is a sacrifice moment. But I don't think the movie like really like focuses and like emphasizes it as that way. You know, it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like a big moment where he's like, "Shit, this might kill me." But you know, all these programs are in trouble. Like, I have to try and do something. You know, yeah. Either either for them or because he's trying to save the world because he knows the supercomputer is going to you know do bad things in the real world. Mm-hmm. Whatever the you know, just any one of these things, but ideally all of them being like further developed and really emphasized on, I think, in the script yeah. would have been really beneficial to the climax. The MCP before he takes over the Kremlin and the White <laughs> House and whatever other national security thing we have. We have to take Pentagon. over the we have to take over the MCP before he forms the OCP in the real world. <laughs> Very nice. I know what that is now. Robocop, yeah, very good. Uh, yeah, so yeah, there's not a lot like after he comes out. Like, we see him reforming the chair where he get beamed in, and then we just see him arrive uh, at like the building in a helicopter, like he's the owner now because he's mm-hmm. you know proven that the other guy stole everything from him. And our two other main characters hug him like they're all a big happy family, and then yep. that's it. The movie ends. Uh, oh, there's one shot of David Warner looking upset because he realizes he's screwed. So there's that too. Yeah, so the evidence that he found was just printed out on a piece of paper. And I guess that was enough. <laughs> I'm assuming that the information in the, the system is also there to back it up. Because <laughs> you could just type that out and print it. <laughs> yeah, he went through all that adventure just to be like, here's a piece of paper that says I, I should be in charge of the company. And they go, oh, um, this is just a piece of paper. You could have written anything on it. <laughs> sorry yeah but no just happy ending fade to black i think as much as i think that the the back half is a little bit of a slog in places and it doesn't feel like much is happening i actually think it could use maybe 15 minutes more and just fleshing out of all the ideas we've talked about Mm -hmm. to really make the the ending matter more yeah i agree yeah so it's an interesting film. Don't get me wrong. Like there's there's interesting elements, especially visually and technically. There's interesting elements, but it's, it is lacking a bit in the like the story. Like the the, the script just yeah. isn't quite there to really make it all feel like it matters by the end. It actually has huge ideas in it, but they they don't really get explored. No, so. they they kind of gloss over and just Which like ah, oh, he's in it. It's ripe for a sequel. <laughs> Very good. I'm, well, I, it seems like you enjoy this movie more than you remembered, so that's, I'm I'm glad about that. Yes, no, technically, yes, I enjoyed this more than I remembered, uh, but still with some serious problems and a mixed bag overall. But yeah, I agree. The, the part I liked, I respected a lot more this time. I think so. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say that much. Plus, you got to see Bruce Boxleitner in something. This is probably the best Babylon Five movie we've watched so far. <laughs> well, it's got, it's got it's got at least two, well, three if you include the guest star with uh warner yeah got three babylon five members actually on that subject there was a really silly looking movie starring ivanova that i i need to go back and find for oh, a bonus yeah, yeah. episode i th- I want to say that i've brought it up before yeah um yeah it was when i was looking for movies for something else i was looking for uh i think it was disaster movies but it was it leaned more sci-fi mm-hmm. so it was like oh yes I want to say she's in, yeah, she's in some B-movie cheese thing that looks great. Yeah, ladies, early 90s, something in that range. Yeah. But anywho, uh, I guess that'll take us on to our ratings for Tron. 
So, Tara, would you like to rate Tron? Uh, out? Oh, I, I, I didn't keep the computer speak up long enough, damn it. Uh, give your a numerical uh, conclusion to uh, Tron, <laughs> please. <laughs> Forward slash backslash backslash colon <laughs> HTTP. <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if I could mimic a dial-up noise, I would, but I can't, so. Uh. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, should I say it in C++? Or... Just kidding. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I'm kind of torn between 6 and 7. Um, I do admire the movie, and I think it's, I think it's very creative, and I, I do think there's a coolness to it but also a silliness to it that it doesn't quite reach the ultimate cool. Um, and the, yeah, there's some stuff that's just kind of lacking. Oh, I'll go, I'll go right in the middle. I'll say 6.5. That's exactly what I was thinking. See, as soon as you said between six and seven, I was like, yeah, 6.5 sounds about maybe right. Yeah. Or mm, maybe just the sex. I, I, I'm kind of torn between six and a 6.5. 6.25. <laughs> I'll just go straight to six. I, I, I think the, the problems I have with it are just maybe a bit too much to sort of put it any higher. But I, I you know, I, I think there's obviously quality. I think it's worth watching if you like filmmaking for all the things that it's doing that are different from the time and the weird sort of things it's doing and, uh, you know, any example of early computer-generated imagery, which are super primitive, obviously, but it is kind of nuts. Um, that said, if I remember correctly, I remember hearing at some point that not everything in this that you think is early computer, like CG, is actually CG. Some of it just is, like, kind of faking CG in a weird way with other techniques. Uh, which, you know, does also make sense because it is super early for that type of stuff, you know? Yeah. You know, um, they had to be very creative with special effects. And I think so, it was worth it. Like, I think, I think that stuff pays off for the most part. I think it's a really fun movie to look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Uh, um, I cannot wait for Tron Legacy, though. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, we, we Not not too soon, but we do have an upcoming uh, plan to do, like, a month or so of, like, second movies of movies we've done the first ones of. So mm-hmm. uh, you'll be seeing Tron Legacy in the not-too-distant future, along with some other juicy sequels. But yes. uh, before we get to any of that, though, we have to do a lot of other sequels for one particular franchise before the new entry comes out. So next episode will be Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. And this episode was a bit late uh, getting recorded. We had to push it back for a couple of reasons. Um, so what should happen if all goes to plan is you'll be getting the next episode of this show quicker than you usually do. Uh, this one was late, so you effectively are getting this uh kind of i guess early well not early you know what i mean early for if it's skipped a week this is early if that makes sense and then you get transformers 2 sort of and you know quite quickly uh but the, po- the point being is that transformers 2 is next uh look forward to it we have to watch that movie so please watch the review <laughs> so that it was worth it <laughs> we're gonna have so much fun talking about robot balls yeah, so many complicated, problematic characters. <laughs> oh yes, of course. Yeah, we got that to look forward to. It's it's a whole wild ride. Uh, so join us for Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen. Uh, we'll be basically alternating between Transformers movies and other movies for the next you know several weeks. So look forward to that. 
but that is the show. You can, of course, support all the content over at patreon.com slash TV. At the $3 tier, every month you get a bonus episode. Um, coming soon, we're doing Species 3. The last episode we did was Space Mutiny, I want to say. Uh, so those keep coming uh, and building a catalogue. There's a, almost 50 of those now, those bonus episodes. Uh, Hell yeah. Check out. Uh, and then, of course, at the $5 tier, you get access to the Ace Meltdown, which is another monthly show where we just kind of talk about all the different random movies we've been watching, kind of casually, you know, catch up on our movie goings have been, and we do a sci-fi quiz. We just quiz. did one, right? We did, yeah. We just uh, had, well, I say that was episode eight of Meltdown that just went out, so. Yes, that was episode eight. So, yeah, you can. Uh... So there's eight of those where you can just see the type of people we are. <laughs> I mean, I feel like we're our our authentic self as opposed sometimes to... you say you're putting a character on but i don't buy it as opposed to these characters well i well putting a character like it's a it's, an, it's a heightened version of something that's true right so sometimes <laughs> i'll play off a hatred of something for the lols you know or okay. uh, <laughs> you know it's like tim when he claims he loves the leprechaun movies he, he has to like pretend and he, he turns into this character of himself yeah but i think he legit does like those he can't do that doesn't make sense that's not possible but i like some of them that's not possible. You're you're faking it. You're lying to Dude yourself, and most importantly, you're lying to me. Stop it. <laughs> I mean, what other movie turns lawnmower blades into breasts? Leprechaun <laughs> 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 <Never gone> too, baby. <laughs> oh, jeez. There was there was a really awkward pause in that sense that. Uh, I'm not even going to go into, but it really made me laugh where I thought the sense was going. Um, <laughs> so, yes, check out the uh, Patreon. Obviously, you get bonus episodes for the collector's cut and for streams after midnight and all that stuff as well. So, uh, worth hey, those having. Those are pretty good movies that you guys do on collector's cut, so that's worth it. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. So far, every time. Oh, you're talking about extra reels, the uh, extra five dollar bonus uh, show. Yes. Yeah. That's a good show. Yes, we talk about Gone with the Pope. Uh, That's such a good movie. And Dangerous Men and Miami Connection and Deadly Prey and movies like that, yes. Uh, I wonder where you got all those movie titles. Yeah, it's almost <laughs> like there's someone feeding them to me. <laughs> you should do this one next. Ta- Tara curates that show. She's not on the show, but she curates it. This is the, uh, yeah, it's the deal we've made since I can't talk about my favorite genre. That's not sci-fi. <laughs> yeah, it's your favorite genre, shit movies. Yep. <laughs> movies that make me laugh, okay? The real uh-huh. comedy gold. Anyway. The accidental comedy. That, is, that has been the show. Thank you very much for joining us. We always appreciate it. Uh, like, subscribe, ding the bell for notifications, all that stuff. You know that. You know that's the gist. But uh, that is us. So thank you once again for watching or listening. We always appreciate it. Keep watching sci-fi and computer at Salsa. <laughs>